0: All right, today we're singing again. Today we're looking at Zachariah's song, and we're still in the book of Luke. Last week we looked at Mary's song, and today it's Zechariah's song. And so let me give you a, a homework assignment right off the bat. Um, some of you really perked up. Those of you taking final exams, you, you look the other way. That, that was so funny. Uh, homework assignment. Go back and read uh, Luke chapter 1. Just just read it in its entirety, maybe read through it a few times, and just kind of try to get the context about really what's going on here. Uh, today, I'm going to try to bring out three points from this passage, and basically, because Christ is born in us, uh, we are redeemed, we are remembered, and we are revolutionized. So there's your three R's, if you're trying to follow along with us. Let me read the text, and then we'll... Start talking about it. Uh, Then his father, this is uh, John the Baptist's father. His name is Zechariah. So then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. Just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called prophet of the Most High, Because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And to guide us to the path of peace. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. If you were in an Anglican church, that's typically what would happen, is there would be a reading of scripture, and then the scripture reader would say, this is the word of the Lord, and then the congregation would reply by saying, thanks be to God. So let's try that. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Yeah. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we come to this text, um, unlike any text we've received all week, the thousands we've received and the thousands, perhaps, texts that we've sent out. There's no text like this one coming in our space and in our personal lives uh, like this one this day. So, Father, we pray that you would help us think properly. We pray that you would help us believe without wavering, help us obey without compromise and reservation, and we need your help in the speaking, and we need your help in the listening, and. It's to you alone that we look. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, have you ever been on a bus tour? Have you ever gone and perhaps visited a new city or perhaps right here in San Francisco? Has anyone gone on a bus tour here in San Francisco? Um, just moved here about five years ago to San Francisco, and my family and I and a few friends, we, we went on that bus tour. and. Uh, I don't know if everyone in my family or my friends were really interested or not, but I was loving it. I was really digging all the information and all the turns that we were taking. I was getting motion sickness, so, but besides that, I was enjoying all the little details and all the stories that make up San Francisco. Um, when you go through the Bible, it's very easy. To try to focus on one verse here, or one verse there, or maybe another one over here, and not really get the big picture of the story of the entire Bible. It would be as if someone on the San Francisco tour blindfolded me, or you, dropped us off in Alamo Square Park, and showed us a blade of grass, and there we sit, and we're supposed to adore it, and enjoy it, and be all enamored by it, when meanwhile... We have no context. There can't truly be any excitement, and so we just play along. Uh, Meanwhile, we're missing that famous iconic view right there of the painted ladies and the the skyline and so forth. Um, When we get into this song of Zachariah, there is an incredible context and tour, so to speak, that. Zechariah is taking us through. And Luke is incredible in recording this. Luke is the only uh, Gentile among the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we would think, as a Gentile writer, he's not going to go Hebraic on us. He's not going to mention any of the Old Testament scriptures. He's himself a Gentile. He's speaking to Gentiles, and yet he goes there. Uh, he goes there. Uh, we, we noticed last week that Mary went there. We we said there were at least a dozen Old Testament scriptures that Mary sang and recited as she's singing in her song and in those lyrics. And so Zechariah for us is doing something very similar here. Uh, and, and perhaps this is the reason why people really can't get enough of the meaning of Christmas, right? If we just leave them with camels and stars and shepherds, and it was cold that night, and so forth, uh, no wonder no one is excited about Christmas. It's right back to that little blade of grass that you're trying desperately to show someone. You flip it over, and you show them a new angle, and, and yet there's no broader context for what Christmas really is uh, about. And so we, we need to take this, this tour of, of the Bible. For, for example, verse 69, it says... Um, He has sent us a mighty Savior. If you're looking at it uh, and you're reading it there, you see it. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David. And you might be thinking, okay, cool, but uh, what does that have to do with me in 2018? Am I part of that royal line? Is that my ancestry? And big deal. Like, what is the point here? The point is, I want you, if you have your phones or maybe... uh, Handheld version of the Bible. I want you to go to Luke chapter twenty-four. So we're looking in Luke one right now. If you like fast-forward this big-picture story, I'm trying to get across to you. Go to Luke chapter twenty-four. This is the end of the gospel writer's gospel. And so, if you're familiar with uh, the storyline, Jesus has not only lived a perfect life; he's been crucified, and he's risen from the dead already. In chapter twenty-four. And so he's making these post resurrection appearances to his disciples and lots of other people. And if you read through that chapter there, around verse 20 and so, uh, there are people there that Jesus is right in their midst, and they're saying things like, We had hoped, we had hoped that this Jesus was going to redeem Israel. But doggone it, it just kind of didn't happen. Man, we had hoped. And so here's something um, on the side here for you to be thinking through right now. What are you hoping for in your life that perhaps hasn't come to fruition? What are you waiting for Jesus to show and reveal and be for you that maybe hasn't taken place yet? Luke chapter 24, though, they don't even realize that indeed the risen Savior is right there in their midst when they're asking that question. Verse 25, Jesus tells them how foolish you are and how slow of heart you are. He's basically saying, haven't you read your Bibles? Haven't you taken the tour? Didn't you get the full tour of the story? And if that's the case, your heart isn't troubled. You aren't um, overwhelmed to the point of, I don't know what to do. And the future is just going to to hell in a handbasket, but that there really is a plan in place here. And so he's basically, Jesus uh, tells them that everything that was written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, is so that I can open your eyes so that you might understand the scriptures. That's what's listed there in Luke chapter 24. So first off, just want to say that we can't understand the scriptures unless God opens our minds to understand the scriptures and understand the story. No amount of extra study that I do in preparation for a talk like this, no amount of pleading, no amount of sweating while preaching, no amount of uh, awesome note-taking on your part. Uh, There's something that must transcend the speaker and listener. And the same was true for Zechariah and all prophets that had gone before him. This is an act of God, understanding uh, God where God takes a veil off of our eyes so that we can understand this story. Um, so perhaps we should uh, move forward here in looking at the very first point here, that we are redeemed. This, this is why Zechariah is singing, right? Uh, you, you may have seen a, a musical, and if you're like me, you wonder... How and why did, like, spontaneously, they just burst out into song? I mean, creatively, I mean, okay, I get it, but, like, really? Why is Zechariah... Okay, Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth, is how old? 96 years old, at least, scholars say. Okay? She becomes pregnant with John the Baptist, who's going to be a forerunner for Jesus, right, a prophet in the New Testament. And so, uh, Zechariah is excited (laughs) Zechariah is wondering, has God forgotten us? And so Zechariah is bursting forward with prophesying and a song here because God really has indeed done something amazing. Zechariah is a priest, he's prayed for a son. And again, if you go back and read Luke chapter 1, it says that the angel visited Zechariah, and Zechariah didn't believe the angel. Zechariah doubts it. He says, how can this be true? Are you sure? So imagine an angel visiting you and telling you something prophetic, something amazing that God is going to do. And some of us, the intellectuals among us, would say, are you sure about that? Can you verify that? I need verifiable proof before I trust in that. So this is Zechariah. Yet, look in verse 68 of chapter 1 with me. He burst into song by saying, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has visited and redeemed His people. Again, the context here, the the bus tour, the Bible tour, is He's referring to the Exodus. He's referring to His people, God's people, the Israelites, were brought out of slavery, out of Egypt, that God alone could do this. And He's wanting them to see that life is futile, And meaningless without God. Which God? The God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's very specific. The God of Israel, he says. So Zechariah sings because all of history that preceded this song is now coming to fruition by this Messiah. Indeed, will be talked about, will be preached and prophesied by his own son. This is happening right in front of him. He, uh, he knows that Moses and, and, and those people were stuck in Egypt, in bondage. Um, when, when they get into the promised land, they end up forgetting God. This is part of the story that you're hopefully familiar with. They get into the, to the promised land, finally. They end up forgetting God. Uh, the Babylonians take them captive. Some of them die right there. God oversees the events of history, however, and continues mercifully and with his kindness to move the story forward so that it doesn't end in just bad news. The minor prophets are reminding people to keep looking forward. I know you're losing hope. I know you doubt it. I know you don't see God's presence. I know you want to touch it, feel it, smell it, taste it. Keep moving forward. You're going to be redeemed. I'm going to redeem you. Verse 78 says, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. They still believe. People in first century, people prior to that, in fact, uh, Juan was leading us in the call to worship this morning, Isaiah writing 700 years or so before Christ is even born. They still believe that the Messiah would indeed come. It's amazing. We say, well, I know what it says, but I can't see it. I know scriptures say that God is faithful, but I'm not feeling it. I didn't really experience it this week. I know that I'm a Christian, but everyone around me is not. I know that God loves me, but why am I not really feeling it? Why am I going through such difficulty and such challenge right now? Look at verse 78 and 79 that speaks to us in this culture that we're in. It says, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. It's into that darkness, it's into that context, that that little blade of grass makes any sense in Alamo Square Park. It's in light of that bigger picture that's going on that Zechariah is bursting out into song about. Verse 67 says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a person who's redeemed, a, a Christian, a person whose relationship with God has been restored by nothing less than the life, death, and resurrection of King Jesus burst out into song. That's an overflow of a Christian. There's worship, and it don't just mean song and singing. I, for one, I can't sing. It's a life. It's a life. The second thing here that's incredible news for you and me at Christmas here is that we are remembered. How many times do you feel just forgotten? Not as in, oh, there's not enough Christmas presents under my tree. I've totally been forgotten. I'm going to get the shaft this year we might be thinking, but in terms of God, has God forgotten me? If you go back and read the Psalms, David is certainly expressing that. In fact, he says, quote, where are you, God? Where are you? Have you left me? Um, Jesus would then quote David when Jesus is on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Another translation is forgotten me. Where are you? Verse 72 and 73, it says, He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. See, all of the Old Testament promises are pointing forward to this Messiah. They're pointing forward to Jesus. Therefore, the Old Testament is a key that unlocks understanding into who Jesus is. Jesus is a key that helps you unlock and understand all of the Old Testament, which is written about and pointing forward towards this Messiah that must come and redeem Israel and us, his people. This display of God's mercy, that God hasn't forgotten his plan, God hasn't forgotten you, God's mercy and kindness, Don't miss this point. It's God's mercy and kindness that brings us to repentance. It's not someone speaking loudly to you or manipulatively to you. It's not you feeling sorry about it, whatever it might be in your relationship with God, but it's God's mercy and kindness towards you. Cue the chimes. God's mercy and kindness that comes to us. I remember my dad, growing up, and sometimes the thing that my dad would do that would really get my attention after I had done something to disobey my dad, it wasn't my dad being harsh with me. It wasn't my dad proving that he had authority over me. He wore the pants in the family or anything like that. It was my dad's kindness and gentleness and mercy have you ever sinned against someone or transgressed or done something wrong against someone? And have you experienced their kindness to you? Has that ever happened to you? You ever experienced forgiveness in that way? Some of you are thinking, no way, I'd love that. This is what Zechariah is singing about. Zechariah is talking about the tender mercy of God that loves you, that accepts you. And that is what leads us to repentance. That if I'm not on the right path, or you're not on the right path, there's a turning from one path and to get on Christ's path because of his kindness. Not because God's going to punish me. And that's the gospel. The gospel is this good news that it's the kindness and mercy of God that we don't get what we deserve. We are rebels at heart. We have chosen our own way. We have made a muck of it. And yet, in spite of that, God sends Christ into our midst to become one of us, to come right into the mess, not to be afraid or overwhelmed or act like he cares, but he really doesn't, but to get really close to us, right in the mess, not give us what we deserve, but in his kindness, show us his love. We are remembered. Lastly, we are revolutionized. We are revolutionized. See, God's goal for his people, having rescued them, having rescued you, is now that they might serve him without fear in holiness and in justice. The story of Exodus, you could probably quote it, where remember Moses is supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go so that they may go and worship me. Did Did you catch that last part? That's what it says. Like, let my people go, not so that they can just get more milk and honey. It's, it's, that's not what the story says. Again, the tour, the, the, the big picture of the story says, let my people go so that they can worship me. So that when they come out, they can really come out and shine. And not so that that shining can be just to like, highlight them, but to highlight a God who's their hero of the story. Romans 12 Paul does this beautifully where he gets to the point and he says by the mercies of God by the mercies of God present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God this is your spiritual act of worship not how loud we can sing not how many of us there are in one place at one particular time doing it and then it like we don't do it again until we come back no it's a life it's a life it's worship And it's because of the mercies of God that you are revolutionized. You're never the same again. You're never the same again. God hasn't done this so that our problem might be fixed. I think God has done this so that God's problem might be fixed. And you say, wait a minute, God doesn't have any problems. Thanks for listening. Uh, God doesn't have any problems. What do you mean? The problem I'm uh, proposing here is that the story of the Bible is a story of a God fixing his own problem. God's problem is how God can allow sinners into heaven. That's a conundrum. God is holy. God is righteous. And so God's problem, it's, it's a brain teaser. Think about it. And I'm asking you to think about it. God's problem, as it were, is to create a way and a story so that we can be redeemed. And he does it. He had planned it long ago so that Jesus would be that one that would give us unity. So it's God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit that's entering into this covenant agreement with each other. So whatever staff meeting you've ever had or family meeting you've ever had or startup you work for where you think there's incredible communication and there may be Imagine God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit before time sitting together and discussing the plan. That ought to blow us away. That ought to just give you an identity and root you to a stability like money can't do, sexuality can't do, a new car can't do, clothes, vacation, job promotion, everybody thinking I'm great, whatever. There is a stability That's offered here, that's free, that's going out to us, that it really was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entering into a covenant agreement, that the Father would plan the salvation, the Son would procure it, and the Holy Spirit would apply it. It's beautiful. This is the story. This is why we're singing. A person is revolutionized when God reveals this to us. You might be thinking, um, you know what it's been? It's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a year politically. Uh, And and by the way, uh, on the 30th of of Sunday, we're going to be discussing how to end the year with the assurance that God really is with us. So come back for that. But it's been a year. It's been a year for some of us medically. It's been a year for some of us in terms of suffering. It's been a year um, in a a lot of different ways. Verse 77, I want you to look at this. He's, Zechariah is speaking of his son, John the Baptist, and he says, you will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So yes, specifically, Zechariah is speaking of his son who has a specific role in the redemptive historical narrative, yet at the same time, As a Christian, you've been revolutionized to go and share the same story. To share the same story. To share that same good news. So a true believer is always magnifying the grace of God. Always. And a true Christian says and sings from the heart the lyrics of that great hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. That saved A bum like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I can see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Today, if you hear God's voice talking to you, respond. Respond. Believe. Trust. Take that step, whatever step God is speaking to you. Don't delay. If you hear His voice, respond. By the mercies of God is how He's pleading with you and me. To receive this King and to celebrate, you have been redeemed. You have been remembered and you've been revolutionized. Let's pray that together. Glorious, glorious God, we want to hear your voice. We invite you to speak to us more than we want to hear a human's voice. And wow, that the God of the universe, the God of the universe redeems us and remembers us and revolutionizes us. Help us and may the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest upon and remain with all who believe today and forever. I pray in his name, amen.